Welcome to Settle the Far. This is Corey Garvey. And in this podcast, I talk to people who make big jumps in their lives, either to a new career, moving to a new location, or joining a new community, about what motivated them to make the change, what the process was like going through that, and then looking back after the fact, how it's affected them and how it's helped them grow. Today, I'm having a chat with my friend Chris Reese. He traveled around the world after college for about 11 months, spending a lot of time in hostels and working his way through Southeast Asia, the Middle East, and Europe. He talks about how this trip and many of the other trips that he's had since then have affected his view on the world, his view on news, the way he talks to people that he meets. And as someone who has lived with Chris in the past, I've known that he has a really great perspective, a really worldly perspective on a lot of uh, topics that are out there. And just understanding how he sort of has such appreciation for these things, a lot of it comes back to this travel and the way he's been able to interact with either the culture itself or individuals who have spent a lot of time in that culture. You can find Settle the Far on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play, as well as my website, podcast.coreygarvey.com. If you have any feedback, head over there. Uh, there's a feedback form, and I would love to hear guests that people would like to to listen to on the show. So uh, please don't be shy about what you what you write on those feedback forms. So without further ado, enjoy this conversation with Chris Reese. Now, all right, Reese. Thanks for joining. Uh, so what I wanted to chat about here is a little bit about how your travel around the world. And maybe you can get into a little detail on that, where you went, where you've been. You've been uh, globetrotting for a few years now. Where, yeah, where you've been and how that's changed your your outlook on things now that you're back in the U.S. How's that sound? Okay. Sounds pretty good. I guess for context, uh, yeah. So I... Where have I been, and then how has that changed change my perspective? Well, why don't you just start? Um, we'll get we'll go into the perspective part in a second. Why don't you just why don't we start with with an individual use case? Um, maybe thinking right now about the the way you know. I know you're someone who follows politics. You look at the news a lot. Um, when you look at the, someone say too much. Yeah. Yeah. Some would say too much, maybe. Um, what is it? Does it, does there, the way you, I guess, ingest the news and look at the news, is that impacted by having visited certain places and, and maybe an example of somewhere you've been and, uh, in your travels? Oh, yeah. Um, um, <clears throat> well, it's also like, uh, and you have previously spoken with, Andrew. So, you know, that's, that's one of them right there. Um, but it's also like your friends that have traveled or lived somewhere, um, that come and bring, bring back perspective. And then you're kind of like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to randomly keep tabs on that. Um, Oh yeah. What's, but, some, what's something you randomly keep tabs on? <laughs> well, uh, I mean like for instance, like me and Myanmar, right? So, um, I guess formerly Burma, but I, when I first went traveling, I figured that was 2010 to 2011. So they were just about to have an election when I was in Southeast Asia. 
So it was highly recommended that Americans do not go because there was, there was a potential for violence. Um, and there was travel restrictions and everything else. So I decided not to go. Um, and instead just kind of went throughout Southeast Asia and skipped over to India. But, um, a friend of mine, Billy, who I think you might've met at some point, um, now works in DC. Um, he went to Southeast Asia to live for a little bit. Um, and then really started working there kind of full time. And that's now his area of expertise is Southeast Asia. Um, and Myanmar more specifically. So he was there, um, living for about a year and a half, a few years back. And I went to visit and randomly, you know, I didn't know much about it. I, uh, we can get into this in a little bit, but I, you know, randomly was in, it was after a job, took a couple months off. I was in Europe, found a really cheap flight to go see him. It was on like a Ukrainian airline from Amsterdam to Bangkok for like 250 bucks. Um, of course you had to stop in Kiev for a while. Very strange. Yeah. Um, I one see of the those, flights I've ever taken in my life. But... I see those flights all the time getting from London to Istanbul that you can, you can go through Kiev for like 90 pounds, but I haven't done. Oh, it I'll tell you what Kiev airport. Kiev airport leaves a lot to be desired. We get on the plane and this is like, you know, figure this was whenever things were kind of popping off in Ukraine was right around when this flight was taking place. And there were troops that got on the plane and they closed the door and all of these guys start walking to the front, which if you're ever on a plane and a bunch of guys that are in military gear start walking to the front of the plane, you get a little weirded out. Um, but it was just because they didn't care and wanted to get the first class seats. And then they started coming back, which was once again a weird <laughs> scene. But it was because they were grabbing their girlfriends to bring them up as well because there was more seats. Oh, that's good. That's good. So you took that you uh, you took that to Bangkok and then Myanmar. Myanmar, yeah. And so he was there. Interesting time, you know. Ansung Su Ki is there, and the whole idea is that they're really turning towards uh, the West. You know, like they're they're opening up. They had been controlled by a military junta for decades. Um, she had been under house arrest and had the Nobel Prize and everything like that. And so this was like the real big moment. Um, think of it similarly akin to like how everyone felt about um, Saudi and uh, Prince and the MBS. Um, what happened was, so we ended up traveling to um, the West uh, uh, Sitway, which, you know, Unbelievable place. They just started opening up flights. Um, it it really does not get many tourists, but it, it's known for it has a a lot of Muslims there. Um, and my buddy is pretty tapped in. He works on conflict and kind of like democracy generally, and like how that's like spread. Um, 
when he said there's a lot of problems here, we actually were on the flight with somebody from Doctors Without Borders. And they had just been allowed, back allowed into this area. Um, lo and behold, I leave um, after like two to three weeks traveling there. And, um, you know, you start hearing about the Rohingya. And that was, so that state we were in um, is Rakhine State. And Sitway is like the capital of Rakhine State. Um, and so that whole area um, was where things blew up. And they had the whole, you know, refugee crisis of people fleeing into um, Bangalore from Sitway yeah. and Rakhine State in general. And so that was like just a prime example of like we we were on the ground and... You know, a couple of weeks after I left, it completely changed. And so my context on like these people was not only talking with people who, you know, were Buddhists that had talked about, you know, some pretty scary thoughts on their feelings on Muslims, but also um, just like whole villages that you saw through while you're traveling throughout there that are you're pretty aware aware are like completely wiped out and burned out. Yeah. So for that, in that situation, like my, my take on that, and I think we were, we were living together once that, that really started to get out of hand is that there was a lot of information that was held back or the government was choosing what to put out there. And I know, I think the time people of the year that year was like the journalist or something for some of those journalists who went in there and, um, against political order or government orders or something like that. Um, so basically, you know, it wasn't easy for information to get out anyways, but do you think that even so the, the way certain information is interpreted that you like kind of interpret the information differently rather than just know more? I think it's time that you, <clears throat> Well, so there, their whole thing was that they they denied it was a it's kind of similar to like you know in Syria them denying uh, yeah. that there's an issue and it's just more like what the access is of people to get things out right and so like Syria there's video going out but like Syria is a pretty you know advanced economy they were one of the more advanced economies in the Middle East and sure. like more educated populaces in the Middle East. Um, Myanmar, like you get outside of a handful of cities and like people have generators for electricity and they're relatively off the grid. I think like what you end up like having is just like you're putting a face to a name and then you're also like discounting, you're discounting like any um, government report from that country um and then like i'm reading foreign policy and foreign affairs and random podcasts um where there's like people pretty tapped in on that particular situation that are kind of like cutting through the bullshit um do, do you so think they're like is, has something taught you that that is necessary because like i look at the new york times and other than that, I probably, even living in London, I look at news sources that are major cable news, you know, NBC, ABC, that kind of thing. 
uh, why, why do you feel it's necessary to go to foreign policy or whatever it is, whatever podcast you're listening to, or is it just that you, you have also exhausted those, uh, those bigger ones? I think it's, well, a little bit of that. So let's, let's put that one into perspective there on some level. Uh, <laughs> but like, the thing is that like, oftentimes the person that's making the decision, which informs the person who is then quoted in the New York Times is somebody that's like writing first person accounts in, you know, these other like maybe more quasi quasi academic um newspapers yeah. uh, so like for lack of a better word and so like you're getting like right to the information and thought leader that is influencing the decisions rather than like the person that like is the politician in front of it yeah i i had heard so that. like my example would be like a i guess it'd be like the president or his advisors make some kind of announcement but there's like you know a general that gives a four-page summary in foreign affairs, right? Like, I'd rather read it from the person that's, like, giving them the info that they're synthesizing and then, like, pushing out to the American public. Yeah. Because we do, a lot of the news, right, the 24-hour news cycle relies on just analysis of that first-person understanding, and they just reanalyze the same things that have actually happened rather than bringing new news to the table. And I think what you're saying is like getting to the actual news um, keeps you actually informed because it's like telephone when you deal with these larger publications and stuff. Well, it's also like in fairness, like there's a lot of things that are just, uh, I'm not sure if we're allowed to curse on this, but uh, there's a lot of things that are depressing. Um, So like they're trying to make it so that like, you know, it's not, it's not that. And so like they'll cherry, cherry pick, like, you know, I bring up Syria again, because like, that's just one of those things of like, that is something that a lot of people just like burn out on. And so major news sources don't want to talk about like, you know, Turkey has dozens of soldiers that will die in some attack there. Like, that's just not, it just doesn't become news because, you know, like, another Syrian story is kind of their thing, right? Like they are looking for eyes um, and that might not get it. So, yeah. you know, that's like, that's kind of how I view, view it is just like have a diverse, um, a diverse array of news that you're picking up and then also try to like not have um, just like a super liberal or conservative source. Uh, Cause that's like another where you're like, like this whole coronavirus thing. I mean, that's like, if you look at the coverage, the coverage is like, <clears throat> I think you had the New York times that came out and, and called it like Trump virus, um, which isn't really helpful. And on the flip side, you had like, you know, conservative leaning media that was saying that it, it was just a cold. And this is like being blown out of proportion by, um, you know, by the liberal elite that want to like bring him down and neither is really helpful. And so it's like, that's, that's really the reality with every news story though. And like everything is hyper polarized now. So like, it's very hard to find the truth. So you got to kind of read both sides. Yeah. Talking more about the, 
the coronavirus, COVID-19, how, uh, having been to a lot of the countries that are in the news, having spent time in China, possibly, I don't know if you have. Um, yeah, I spent like a month and a half there. Okay, a little bit of time. Uh, Italy, absolutely, uh, different places in Europe. How, what is your view on just the way that going into this, you would expect countries to take this on, having experienced the cultures and spent time in those places? Do you think, do you think the average American, maybe someone who hasn't been to these places, uh, is there something that you look at and you're like, wow, uh, the, the American view on this, just that they're not seeing something that I see based on having been to some of those spots. I think the flip side is actually, I think that like a lot of Americans, this was a, an example for them to see like just how much control the Chinese government can exert on its people. Um, I mean, like you can look at like the, you know, NASA has those photos of like the pollution being emitted. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that part, the time-lapse and it's just like, it's pretty impressive. And like, say what you will about the other things that they do that are not so great, but like it is unbelievable, you know, that country's control over its people to say like, you know what? Everything stops. <laughs> We're yeah. going to take a two week break. You stay indoors. You can't go anywhere. And, uh, you know, we're riding this thing out. And like, that is a, um, that is not something you could do here. You couldn't, I, I don't see a situation where we could legitimately say everyone stays indoors and that will actually happen throughout the entire, like throughout, like, you know, you're talking about like 10 million plus cities um, yeah. in terms of the population. But my, it's, it's, my, my view on that a little bit is that the, you know, Wuhan has 11 million people in it and they, they shut it down, like completely shut yep. the city down, right. For, for weeks. And I think the speed at which the, or the way that the, the entire thing leveled off and it looked like things were contained there and seemed to have been contained there gave a bit of a sense of false hope because I think my experience personally was that before going to China, I, I had the, I just didn't understand what the Chinese world was like. I didn't realize how, um, capitalist and, and consumer that they are and how much they, they purchase things and they cons like, you know, they have Apple stores and they have Mercedes and they have all these nice things. And that having gone there, I see that they locked down for a while and I see that they were able to contain this. And I'm not like, I, I don't think, okay, the reason it got so bad is because there are some backward society. I think the reason they were able to, to, to get rid of it or tighten it up as quickly as they were are because they're more advanced than we give them credit for. And they have this authoritarian situation. And that I think, I, I don't know, I think people look at it and say, well, if China was able to level it off so quickly and tighten up so quickly, then we'll definitely be able to do much better than that. And maybe they don't realize how ahead a lot of things are in China. I think that's fair. I think like the the flip side is that like, you know, the reason this got so out of control was because a lot of people didn't want to look bad in front of the government. Right. And like, sure. like that doctor that ended up, I think he might have passed away. Um, 
but the one who like blew the whistle and then basically got like censored by the government. Um, there's a prime example of like the two sides of that whole situation over there. Now, like the, the other side of the coin is like, I've been shocked that Italy has like as quickly as they did started taking this seriously and like locking down. Now it's like gotten awful there and they're, they're getting unbelievably um, hit by this, but like, they, I don't know. I just did. I didn't anticipate there being as swift a reaction there. Um, but it's interesting because it's like playing out on a country by country level. When in reality, we're so interconnected that it's like it doesn't make much of a difference, particularly like for Europe, until there's like a there's a more like holistic response across the whole continent. And so it's a curious thing of like, I don't know, just a very weird, you know, like there's always those moments, like, I don't know for you, it's probably got to be similar in terms of like, you know, September 11th stands out as like this weird time. Um, of course. I mean, it's the only that, other time that I can compare to this one. That's like immediately what my mind shot to in terms of like, you know, like you have like this, like, weird and that was when we were in middle school i think but like the this weird amount of downtime where you're just like not like everything is very unsure and everyone's got this feeling of like uncertainty but they're not like really speaking about it but you're just kind of like yeah i don't know there's there's this thing where like there's so much uncertainty right now with where this is going to go and how bad it's going to get that and the responses just haven't like caught up yeah yeah, um, to take a little bit of a turn, I guess, chat, chat about a, maybe one or two more things. Um, pivot. A little Do pivot, it. yeah, a little pivot here. Uh, I'm curious as to your, you know, thinking back, having having traveled, you traveled, if I'm right, around the world when you were backpacked for a while, when you were pretty soon after, after college, like 22, 23, is that right? Uh, I left the July after college. Okay. So I was, I was 22. Yeah. Okay. And I think, uh, I guess for context, uh, for context also, because I I basically, um, well, you, you started work like a normal person and, uh, I, took a flight to Japan and then kind of like if you were to plot a course around Asia and the Middle East and Europe, trying to use flights as little as possible and hug the coast, that's basically what I did. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. And that took how long? That took 11 months. Okay. And coming back, what felt, you know, that's, that's a, incredible experience to have at that point in your life when you're about to enter, you know, you say what I was doing was what normal people do. Uh, I think that's, you know, perspective, but how how did you see that the way you were looking at that, I don't know, your career, life, individual pieces of life, whether that's politics as we were talking about or food or something differed from what, the normal person who left college and went right into work was, 
was taking on things? Was there anything that sticks out that's like, you know, having having traveled around like that, you just couldn't get on board with the norm? Oh, yeah. I think it's something interesting where, like, I, you know, because a few friends have known that I, I did that, they've, they've ended up, like, asking me about it when they got back as well. But, like, when I got back, the initial thing is, like, you know, I just spent 11 months in, like, a super self-indulgent um, sensory overload, right? Like, the smells, the sights, um the sounds, like just languages, the sheer amount of languages you're hearing, um, is just so different that when you get home, it's like, all right, all I got is vanilla ice cream. Um, um, it's like, it becomes really boring. Um, and so I found myself like, you know, you get a little bit like, you definitely get a little depressed and you get a little bored. And that's something that, you know, it's been interesting to speak to people that have traveled for at least a couple of months that come back and are like, Hey, did you feel really down or bored? I was like, yeah, that's, that's exactly how I felt. Um, so I think that's like, that's only a natural thing, but it did, um, it did definitely like it, it pushed me to not want to be stuck in like a very local bubble. Um, I think we're probably both similar on that regard i mean you're speaking to me from london now so there's a little there's that there but like for me i just didn't want to like you know live within a 15 20 mile radius of where i grew up for the entirety of my life um and i think like but before you went away were you thinking differently yeah i think like you know there's the same there was the same assumption I think growing up for both of us that like, uh, you know, what does a career look like? You, you move, (laughs) you, you move to, uh, somewhere, you know, around Midtown and then you move either up or down (laughs) or maybe Brooklyn was this new exciting thing, right? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, that was kind of how I was like, Oh, okay. You move and then you, uh, you take the train back when you have like a ring on your finger or a child and you, you move back to, you know, within a couple of blocks of where you grew up <laughs> and not that there's anything wrong with that, uh, to quote Seinfeld, but, <laughs> but he, like for me, uh, there was, and I was just kind of like, I just don't, I don't see myself doing that. And like, at least I don't see myself doing that right now. Um, and I'd say like when I got back, I still was in that frame of mind of like, all right, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be an attorney and I'll do that, but I'll figure out my path that I can kind of like not be stuck just like in the New York bubble. Um, and then like, as it became more real and I was like pretty much about to go was when I realized like, that is definitely not what I want to do. And I moved out here. Um, and so like that was heavily informed, informed by, um, traveling and just kind of like being exposed to other things and realizing like, you know, there is a whole lot of this world outside the tri-state area <laughs> that yeah. maybe would be nice to, uh, to see. Um, so yeah, I'd say like, you know, if I had, if I had taken a job and not traveled, I'd probably, um, I'd probably be talking to you from 
Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> Very true. I don't know if I would have uh, I would have been calling you if that's what you did. <laughs> Maybe not. I mean, hey, in fairness, uh, yeah. I mean, like we we both uh, we both knew each other a lot better through that. I mean, you know. Yeah. Very weird. Very weird initially moving out here. Very fortunate in that uh, you had a roommate moving out. So. Yeah, and you just that thing of coming back and having thinking that you were going to be a lawyer. I I think me too when I when I went and visited even just visiting California. I came to London in in college for about a month. And that that opened things up a little bit, but that was more like a vacation. I would say seeing friends who lived in California and then thinking that that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg and there's a much bigger bit of world that I want to get into and like more that I want to keep exploring. And that the way I can do that, the only way I can do that is by sort of setting off in a path where that is like in my path, you know, where if I'm going to, if I was going to take a job in New York the two-week vacation was not going to sufficiently satisfy my need, and therefore I had to have a whole, you know, it had to, it had to be like sort of at the cent- <laughs> the center of the plan. It couldn't be, you know, a little bit of a hiatus every once in a while. Uh, but I don't know why. I think I think even knowing you kind of got me hooked onto that because it's like it seemed unbelievable. Like, did you plan to, yeah, well, I was, uh, what were you planning I was that asshole to do? Checking in. Yeah. I was that asshole checking in with people being like, well, well, I'm, you know, in India for the next month and a half. And you guys would be like, you know, six months into work. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like India. That's, like, that's kind of a hard one. <laughs> what are you doing in that, India? I mean, a hard curveball. we had no idea. It was like, how, what? What can you be doing in India for a month and a half? Like, how? I mean, what are you doing in India for a month and a half? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Of like, uh, you know, there was. A, I'd say I probably walked like ten miles a day. I would, uh, you know, you're just like soaking in the sights, eating tons of food, um, probably picking up some parasites that you know long term affected me for a couple of years, um, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just basically like would look in books or talk to people and they'd be like, oh yeah, you should check this out. And I would go there until, um, basically until I like felt like I've seen enough. And so some places I'd spend like, you know, 24 to 36 hours and be like, yep, I'm done. And other places I'd spend like four or five days. Um, maybe more some some more um then yeah you're just kind of like just seeing what it's like there, trying to like speak speak with people and understand where they're coming from and it was kind of like a it's really hard to describe because it feels wildly unproductive but at the same time it was like gave me some good perspective on different parts of the world like india is a prime example of just like this place that you know Prior to, I'd always just thought of India as like, well, it's a country of greater than a billion people and Indian food is one type, right? But in reality, there are 
different languages spoken everywhere. And like, you're down in the South in Kerala and like the people look completely different than the people way up in the North. And like, that's obvious when you're looking at a map map and you're like, Oh, that's, you know, thousands of miles. Right. But like, um, I don't, I don't know. I guess just like growing up, you're never exposed to the fact that like, Oh yeah, they have, you know, hundreds of languages in India and the food is like wildly diverse on the level of like, you know, Europe, like you wouldn't say English food and Italian food are the same. Um, so I've never, but I, yeah, I've like, never been to India and I know a lot of Indian second generation Indian Americans. What is one thing? And maybe you just mentioned it about the languages or the food that I need to understand about India that I Probably don't because I really don't have much knowledge about the country. Oh yeah, so I, I they, the food is probably a good portal into like their culture, and I think it's interesting that like everyone says Indian food when they really mean like Punjabi or something, and um, it's super like it's inter- like to me it's wild that like. You know, like people are able to pick out different little pockets of Italian areas. So they're like, oh, this is Sicilian food or this is like Tuscan or whatever it might be. Um, But like India is far more diverse. (laughs) (laughs) And yet we just give it like and there's like, you know, there's over a billion people there and we just say like Indian food. And everyone just thinks of like three different colors of curry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd say like the food should probably be the starting starting point, but like you know, also the like the amount of languages is was absurd. I just like was not prepared. I actually made it easier traveling because English is a pretty common language. Yeah. Um, versus like whatever the local language is, which a lot of Indians that are traveling don't know anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm sure I'll get there at some point. I mean, I, uh, I think I, I, it feels daunting though. Like how do you, after doing that and spending four days being able to stop at a place, how do you take on the reality of now having a career and having maybe a week or two to travel to different countries? Like what, what is your mindset going into any travel that you do now? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the million dollar question. Um, I, I'll let you know when I figure that out. Okay. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I've, I've definitely pulled two different triggers. And I'd say I'm trying to get better about it. Um, a little difficult now. But uh, once this, once the world returns to, to the new normal, um so like I've done the trips, which I actually think are pretty fun as long as you limit where you're going to go. And this is like the advice I give to everyone when they're traveling is, you know, don't see everything. Um, don't like the classic American thing is like, I'm going to see everything in Rome. Yeah. And it's like, well, you wouldn't tell a tourist going to New York, you need to see everything. You'd say like, you should see like here are four to five things you want to see. Um, 
and it's not the end of the world if you miss two of them. Like, you can always go back, right? Um, well, like Rome, you can always go back. If you like it, go back. If you don't like it, never return. Uh, so, like, I went to Seoul for, I think it was, like, five days or something, like, crazy short amount of time. Like, Martin Luther King, I went to Seoul. Um, <laughs> uh, not a trivial flight. Not a trivial flight, but, like, once you're there, you're kind of like, all right, well, <laughs> we're here. We get the day back on the flight back. So, I actually, like, you know, was there through the end of the day Monday, and I was at or through the end of the day Tuesday and then got into work Tuesday morning, which is a complete uh, mind fuck. Um, yeah. That's but crazy. the, but like, yeah, like you, I only went to Seoul and we had like a couple of touristy things that we wanted to see. Uh, but otherwise like ate some good food and like, I want to go back. So, you know, I didn't see everything and I didn't try to like accomplish everything. Uh, but I think that's a good way of like going, like pick a city or pick like max two places and don't try to like boil the ocean running around. Yeah. Uh, usually works. And then like the flip side is like, you know, um, for better or worse in between jobs, I've tried to like take some time off and travel. Um, this one I, I took a, I took a Friday off. So in between my last role and this one, um, so that, that kind of betrayed my whole, uh, rule of thumb. Um, but yeah, I think like the hard reset of like taking, you know, greater than a week. Um, we all like to think that like, you know, the, the jobs that we have and what we do, like the world won't continue to spin if we step away. Um, but I'm pretty sure everything's going to be all right for yeah. most things. Yeah. Um, Between and jobs, if it's not, it's been then a like, favorite of mine. Yeah, totally. And I think like the thing is that also like if your job, if you're like what you do really can't have you away for a week and a half, then you should get to that point because like that's not a wholly sustainable situation anyway. Um, so. Yeah, I think I think like trying to make sure that you take like, you know, rather than just the three or four day break, taking like at least a full week every now and again. Um, and that's something that like, you know, you know, in meeting more people outside the U.S., you start realizing more and more is just like we don't take time off. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like for those of us that are like, Fortunate enough, we can, we should. Yeah, I can tell you, I work with a large French company, and August is not the most productive time of the year. <laughs> and that's not like one week of August. That is like all of August every year. So, uh, well, it's all of August. It's even like a little bit of like on the on the fringes of July and September, oh, yeah. right? It's more like on the fringes of July. It's more than the fringes. It's it's right on to the middle of the green of July. Uh, and September gets roped in there. It's a lot. It's a lot. And yeah, it's, like, it's the way that they, they view going somewhere. Like, I think, like, we have this joke when we see people around. It's always Americans, too. Uh, when we see people around a city, when you're, like, you know, I live in London, so there's Americans in London. And they have the... Uh, 
they have on like some Merrells and some some pants with the zipper on you know where you can zip them off into shorts oh yeah they're go- they're going on safari in <laughs> yeah, london yeah the, I the know. City like, they're about to the city they're gonna go hunt elephants yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like it's because you know when you're taking on six different tourist attractions that day and then you have to go get ready for a restaurant and a show and everything that night and you're doing all of this and then tomorrow you're going to see like bath and stonehenge and you know, Windsor Castle all in the same day. Like you have to be, you have to bring your, bring your supplies or you're not going to make it. And that is not how the French experience the world. Like they, uh, my, at least, and I don't want to, you know, make these broad generalizations, but there's that wanting to settle in and go out for, uh, just move life to that place for a little while, at least. And that, that's something that I've tried to do because I think, I can't, um, I don't know. There's just too many things out there that like I could go and take a picture of and be around. But if I'm in a whole different headspace when I'm in that location, looking back on it, I'm not as, I mean, and you have to sort of adapt to where you are, but adapting into like vacation Corey who like needs to go be aggressive and, and see every little thing it just tires me out and I puts me in like a, I'm stressed and I don't want to be stressed. Generally. Oh, totally. I mean like the whole, the whole idea of traveling, right. Is to like see a new place and like take a step away from like what you're doing in your day to day. Um, like I remember like the funny thing is you're talking about that. I'm just thinking like, yeah, when I went with my family to London, when I was a kid, we did, uh, England, Scotland and Ireland and I think we were there for like under 10 days. Yeah. We went to like, you know, you're just like racing through. It's, it's absurd. I'm like, you see a lot. And as a kid, awesome, cool. But at the same time, you're just like, my, my parents, it must have been exhausting. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can barely carry myself around these places. Never mind like them carrying three kids around these places. Uh, but the totally that. And I was just also thinking of like, the other thing is, um, people should put down their goddamn cameras when they're traveling where, where it's like, and you see this now, like I'm sure you've seen it. Like you go to a museum and everyone's got their phone up and they're looking at like, like you go to Paris and you see the Mona Lisa and like half the people haven't even seen the, the painting outside of their, their friggin' phone screen because yeah. they all have it up there and they're taking these photos that like, Less, less so than ever before, they will never look at unless they put them on Instagram. Um, and even then, like they're not looking yeah. at their own Instagram. So, like, my thing is is very heavily like put down the camera and actually like enjoy the moment and hopefully you remember it for a long period of time and can like describe it back to people. And if not, then like write it down. Um, which like you've been great about is like writing your thoughts and writing things down. I, I less so. So like, you know, while my brain is still quasi malleable, I need to like start writing things down. But, um, yeah, that was a big, that was a big thing for me. And I think, you know, I was living with you at the time before I went to Japan and China and started journaling a little bit in the mornings. And that those journals of that time were more to clear my head and think through some things, but then, just that habit ended up coming with me and the, the journal I have from those trips. And then 
the first time I went to Turkey and I was there around the coup and after the coup and those journal entries are just crazy because it's like you, you can't you can't go back to where your head was at during that time unless you write it down or you know video blog it or whatever and that is the the thing I'm usually trying to get back to uh I think like sometimes pictures can get you back there, right? Like you see a picture of something that was memorable and it kind of gets you back into that moment. But I, I've never looked back. I think about a trip that when I was in China and I went to Xi'an and there was, I walked around the entire city like a few days and they have this, the wall around the entire city. And I remember I had, uh, I had gone to, just a few moments that pop into my mind, this breakfast that I ate on the side of the the side street. Um, I remember being in a cab and like this cab taking a left turn and just, there was all this traffic and it just slowly inching its way through like oncoming traffic coming at me. (laughs) But like one, one single photo can get me back to that. But I, I remember taking a lot of pictures of certain things in the museum and it's just useless at this point. Like the, the more important thing is like where my head was at during that time. And there's only so much a picture can do to get me back to that. Totally. Like who's taking, like you're taking a picture of a vase in a museum and it's like, do I, you know, as much as there might've been some like historical context for that vase, I didn't take a picture of the plaque. Yeah. So I got some like, thousand year old vase or it could be a hundred year old vase i have no freaking clue and so what is what is this doing for me yeah so, no agreed to I think a, like to a final topic on that like i'm wondering how much do you when this stuff all comes back to me is when i meet someone who's either from that place or has visited that place and like especially with china having come to london and and been around more chinese people in london um I feel like that's where I end up coming back to this because I never end up going through most of the photos again. And I cleaned up some of them right after the fact. So I have some smaller albums I look at, but it's really those conversations that I have that get me back into it, you know? Yeah. I'd say it's that. And like, um, well, like you live in it, like I'd say like a food city as well, but like, um, it's also like, I've been fortunate to like, find some friends that um have done a good amount of traveling themselves and are also like maybe like a little bit into food and um it's also been fun to where like someone finds like you know this great Szechuan place that's four miles away from where I am now and like you know San Francisco seven by seven so four miles is pretty far when you're living in the middle um but it has like outrageous food that kind of like reminds you when you were last there. Um, so there's also like those things that I think, but yeah, totally people that have, have been there for a while or like lived there and being able to like hear their perspective. Um, or even like places, places you haven't been where you're, where you're like, you know, at this point there's a lot of places that like I'm dying to go. Um, I so said just hearing of hearing about like what it's like there is something that's end, endlessly inter- interesting to me. Um, particularly having like traveled a good amount. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The the conversation you get more, almost more curious because you 
you could picture yourself going there and you're almost deciding where is my next trip going to be and those conversations help well totally well it's like trying to i was with somebody else and we were trying to describe to someone like why i um japan feels so alien for westerners um and it's like this bizarre mix of like this like super advanced economy um you know like super first world right but yet like totally different from from everywhere else like it is like they've it feels like they've just been allowed to progress in a bubble and they've just like gone completely a different direction in a lot of things and like i was listening to this one stand up he was talking about like you know we've been wiping our asses with toilet paper and they've had like robot toilets spraying their asses and cleaning them for like 30 years yeah and just for those <laughs> here are like for those know, listening like, that's not even a joke like they they have and like everyone, like you know, everyone right now is like, "Ooh, bidets!" And it's like they've had toilets talking to them for like the last ten years. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. It's just a like, it's hard to like just like the differences and like sharing that. Like, yeah, that's ridiculous, right? Like, you know, I, I'm sure you might have seen like babies kind of where like their parents just like hold them hold them up and they're like i saw a kid crap in the street yeah. <laughs> never seen that before um yeah i don't know just like interesting random things that you get to share with like nuggets of like wasn't that crazy or like crazy from our perspective um things that you get to see yeah um but well, yeah all right I, man. I have a question for you yeah go ahead go ahead i'm gonna do the, i'm gonna do the complete pivot uh this is this has nothing to do with anything that we've spoken about uh what do we think is going to happen with this Tom Brady situation? Huh? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I I think Tom Brady stays in New England. Um, I think... You know, when I think about it, the only person I can think about who... Was I like how, by the way, there's like a pandemic going on and I'm asking you a sports question. Uh, you know, this is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's see if they move, free, if they move the free agency date or whatever date it is, that could change how much time he's got to choose this. But, you know, Joe Montana went to the Chiefs at the end of his career and he was good on the Chiefs. He brought them to the AFC championship game, I believe. I think they were, I think they were 15 and one, one season when he was quarterback. And. No one looks at him as kind of a, you know, it's not a Jordan to the Wizards type thing. It was a successful run at a new place. I think Tom Brady risks going somewhere else and proving that Belichick is the reason that they had done so well. <laughs> and I would not take that risk if I was Tom Brady. Like, the reward... Yeah, I mean, I love it. Yeah. I love it because, like, I know there's a Boston contingent or at least one person that's going to be listening to this and he won't be happy with this statement. But like, I'm pretty sure it's been proven that the Patriots can uh, exist without Tom Brady. It definitely has. Just fine. It definitely has. And Jimmy G did not, uh, <laughs> did not, he had a decent season, but he's certainly no Tom Brady. And they were good with him, with Matt Castle. Like, 
you know, I'm not I'm not up on all the stats. I just don't see why he would risk that. I guess the reason he would is kind of to prove that he's the best, right? Like to prove that it's not Belichick. Yeah, but like there's also this thing of like for Belichick, he's probably like, I'm good without this guy. <laughs> I don't think Bel yeah, I, I think Belichick's fine. I mean, they like I think in his head he's like He's like, the sooner we get rid of this and we can move on from this, the sooner I can start thinking about my draft picks. <laughs> yeah, and he's had a ton of quarterbacks do well. Jacoby Brissett did well, uh, Jimmy G, Castle. Like, I don't know that he needs – I don't think Belichick's got anything to prove. I think it, he'll, he would like to be able to win a Super Bowl without Brady. So he's probably reveling in the idea that Brady will leave. Um, yeah, I mean – just like an interesting thing of like this, like, you know, everyone, everyone calls this quarterback the goat. And yet like this coach arguably is also pretty much called that. And there's and that, definitely, that, that Super definitely Bowl, no love lost between them. That Super Bowl, that last Super Bowl they won when you were here in London, that game was awful. I mean, what are they? They scored like nine points or 12 points or something. That was terrible. And... That was that was Bill no, Belichick win. Which experiences experiences go to London for a Super Bowl at two in the morning. I that's know. that's an experience. Yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, you have to listen to yeah. it with like anyway. the, the backup announcers. It's like Booger McFarland announcing it because they can't even give you the U.S. You know the U.S. U.S. coach, his brother. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, ridiculous. You have a rugby guy explaining football. Yeah, it's a, that was a thing. Anyway, uh, it's really good talking. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, maybe we'll make this a more uh, a more common thing, but a recurring a recurring situation. I would be honored on that. Yeah, it's good to hear your good to hear about your experiences. I mean, there's there's a lot of interesting. Reese running around the world experiences. I I want to hear more about. Maybe we could have a whole um, <laughs> we could have a whole program about your your time in Egypt, right around the Arab Spring. Uh, yeah, just a tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I, mean, I can I can tell. We could we could have a whole probably a whole series just on shit that's went wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, travel delays. Travel delays. <laughs> I could do that one. Maybe that's one we'll get going in. in in time <laughs> all right man well thanks a lot all right well uh, i'll talk to you soon yeah later hey thanks for listening to this episode of settled afar all the music you hear comes from peggy bunker and the Bunkmates. you can find settled afar on itunes spotify and google play as well as podcast.coreygarvey.com subscribe rate review give me your thoughts let me know what you think I need to hear more. I need some feedback. Thanks a lot. And until next time, stay inspired, people.